Please join me in today's responsive reading. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who comes to free the captives, heal the sick, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. We believe in the creating God who calls us to costly love. We believe in a caring Christ whose example encourages us to risk ourselves for the sake of the gospel. 
We believe in a caring community called the Church, which is the physical presence of Christ in the world. We believe in a redeeming gospel that brings fullness and healing to each child of God. We believe in committing our lives to freedom and justice and healing, sharing our belief that the God who created us calls us still. We believe in continually participating in Christ's mission to live out the gospel in the world. Amen. Good morning. We welcome you here this morning. We're glad that you're here in the house of the Lord to worship God together and, uh, and to fellowship with one another. And uh, we welcome you and hope God's going to bless you in a very special way today. Uh, we welcome our guests especially. You are very important to us and we're glad that you're here and hope you'll feel very much a part of our family as we worship God together. A few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets that are on each row. We'd like to ask if, if you would to uh, fill that out as completely as you feel comfortable and uh, give us some information so we can um, uh, have some information about you and uh, record your attendance here. And especially if you would like to uh, receive our email newsletter every Thursday, we invite you to put your email address on there and we can be sure to get you on our list. Uh, some things that are coming up. Next Sunday, we will be having our deacon election, and uh, so be prepared for that on next Sunday. If you uh, 
some people are not comfortable with having their names put on the ballot there. And so if you are not comfortable with having your name on the ballot of our deacon election, um, please call the church and we'll be sure to, uh, to take your name off of the ballot. Um, otherwise, what happens sometimes is that people have no intention of serving as deacon, but their name shows up on the ballot and they may get votes. So that vote is wasted if, if it's a, a vote for somebody who has no intention of, of serving. So if you do not want to serve as a deacon for the coming year, please call the church office and we'll be sure to take your name off of the ballot. Uh, some other things that are coming up. Our award ceremony, our upwards award ceremony is coming up uh, not this coming week, but the following week on November the 23rd. That's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. That will be at 6 o'clock at South Middle School. Our um, entertainment for that night is Tony Wolf, and we have had him before. He is high energy. He really gets the kids excited. He's a lot of fun, a lot of good music, a lot of good comedy, and, uh, and we hope that you'll come and support us with that and enjoy that time. It's a very special time as we celebrate a good season and and, uh, and, it, and it's a time for us to present the gospel to these children that we've been ministering to all, all year as well. Uh, one uh, announcement that I hesitate to make, I, I make this announcement with, uh, with, with much um, sadness in my heart, and that is today's, today is Kristen's last Sunday with us. Uh, she has touched our lives in many ways, and there are she has loved our children, and our children have certainly loved her in her ministry with our children, uh, but her heart is in Mexico. Uh, she, has, she told us right up front that she, her plans are to be a missionary in Mexico, and she has been working towards that goal and is still working towards that goal, and uh, so she is resigning as of today to uh, pursue that. And we, we thought about, well, what can we do for Kristen to, uh, to tell her thank you for her service here? We thought about getting her a gift, but we, then we thought, she's raising money for, um, for her missions in Mexico, and so we, we thought that probably the best thing that we can do is to raise some money for her. So after the worship service, we are going to uh, have a special offering. Some people will be standing at our door to receive a love offering for Kristen to help her along her way to Mexico and to celebrate her time with us uh, uh, during these months as our children's minister. Okay, we also have our holiday challenge come up uh, that we need to deal with today. We've been talking about our, uh, our, our challenge for uh, receiving food for our food pantry for uh, Christian outreach. We are doing well, folks. We're doing very, very well. Uh, last week, I think we, we had some peanut butter that came in a little late, and so last week I think we had at least 200 containers of peanut butter, maybe a few more, but at least 200 total uh, containers of peanut butter. So that is wonderful, wonderful. And today we are taking up uh, cereal and breakfast bars. But before we announce it, uh, Adele, I think, wants to share with us a, a few minutes about volunteering with uh, Christian Outreach. Someone has said, in daily life, we must see that it is not happiness that makes us grateful, but gratefulness that makes us happy. 
And during this Thanksgiving season, let me encourage you to consider being a volunteer at Henderson Christian Community Outreach. It's located on 7th Street. Jerry and I were able to volunteer there for four years. And last Sunday, Dottie Sugg expressed her gratefulness for all that Community Baptist Church does to help with the efforts there. And I don't know if you are aware or not, but there are 28 Henderson churches that help with, with Christian outreach. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you're think, you might be thinking, what could I do if I volunteer at Christian Outreach? Here are some of the jobs. Answering the phones, receptionist, paperwork and filing, stocking the shelves, interviewing the clients, and bagging groceries for the clients. Christian Outreach assists with food, utilities, dental expenses, money for medications, money for rent, emergency transportation, and emergency lodging. The hours are 8.30 to 11.30, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. But Dottie can use help on Wednesdays as well with paperwork. And on the second Wednesday of each month, they distribute commodities to senior, needy seniors and needy single mothers. And each month, listen to this, they have to prepare 315 boxes to distribute. Just, if you've ever been to that building, you know, it, it just, it's phenomenal, the amount of work involved. So if you have extra time, please consider stopping by and checking it out, visit see what you could do. What do we live for if not to make the world less difficult for each other? God bless you. Okay, are you ready for the count for this week? John, I wish we had a drum roll here. <laughs> okay, for this week, we were to bring cereal and breakfast bars, and the women have brought 109, and the men have brought 137. <laughs> the cumulative total, women, counting the peanut butter, 219, and the men, 222. And if my math is right, cumulative between the men and women, I think that brings us to about 441 items in the past two weeks. And so I'm going to put another goal out there, okay, for men and women. We have two more weeks to go with that, and the goal is, let's break a thousand. How about that? We can do it. We can do it. Okay, let's stand up and greet each other in the name of the Lord. And as we do, children, come on forward for our children's moment.
Our children, we can have a seat now, our children in place for our children's sermon. Hello. Yeah. Hey, girlfriend, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. What did you think of that party last night? I know, did you see her dress? It was so tacky. But you know what? It should have been cool on us though. We would have made it look, what do you call that word? Fly. I know. What was she thinking? And she even had to go home early because she had to go to church the next day. Oh, what about her mom and dad? Lame. Well, you know, oh, hold on. Oh, girl, I gotta go. My mom's calling me. I gotta get ready for church myself. All right, bye. Have you guys, Brother or Dr. Tim's going to talk to us today about being popular and how Christianity may not be popular, may not be, what do you call it, the, uh, the in crowd, okay? And there are going to be times when people are going to say stuff, like may say something ugly. I think we're all sort of guilty. Have you ever said something sort of funny that made fun of somebody else? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I think we're all guilty because I can raise my hand. I've done that too, okay? The best advice I can give you if somebody's making fun of you or saying you're not in the popular group is, one, pray about it. To pray for that person that's talking about you, okay? Because that's important that we pray for those people that are doing those things because we need them, one, to stop, and then maybe we need to redirect them in a different way so they're saying good things and saying, hey, look, her shoes are pretty cool. I like them. Okay, and the second thing is, is that we can't control what people are going to say to us, but we can control how we're going to react to that, can't we? Can't we? We can always turn the other cheek, right? Maybe say, hey, have you had a bad day today? What's going on? Well, I'll share a story with you guys, okay? When I was in kindergarten, my first day of kindergarten, my mom made me wear this big foo-foo dress. Okay, lace socks, patent leather shoes, blah, blah, blah. Well, what she didn't know was that, let me show you here in my bag, is that I packed my favorite cowboy boots. And I still got them. These are my cowboy boots. And I also took a pair of my dad's tube socks. So my tube socks were up to here, my cowboy boots, and my foo-foo dress. And I got made fun of. But you know what? That was okay because I had my boots. These are my boots my granddaddy got me, okay? And believe it or not, my, Gabby's wore these boots, and Hannah has wore these boots, just maybe even for Halloween or something, but it didn't matter if they made fun of me, it was something that was special to me, and I turned the other cheek and I wore them anyway. I wore them every day until my toes had to be crunched up inside of them, okay? 
So be careful what you say to people and how you talk to people because sometimes it can affect them in different ways, okay? And just pray for those who talk about you and turn the other cheek, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these children. They are such a wonderful gift. I pray that when we go to school this week or we're out at our work sites today, this week that we will find something good in somebody and just tell them what a difference they're making in this world. In your name I pray, amen. Scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, but wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that they are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that we do not know the persecution that our forefathers endured, but we do appreciate that they did endure it. We also know that there are wicked people in this world and you have tasked us with not allowing their evil to drive us from this world, but to drive their evil from your world. We thirst for the knowledge that is contained in the scriptures, and we strive to put that knowledge into action to do your work. So, Father, open our hearts and minds so that we may be better equipped to do every good work that you put before us. Bless us not when we glorify you, but also when we fall short, that we may try harder. In your name we pray. Amen.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We think of how you've loved us, how you've heard our prayers, how you've comforted us through your Spirit and dwelled in other people around us. And Father, we just want to say thank you for the beauty of the day and the life that you give. And we ask that you bless these offerings, that they may be acceptable to you for the upbuilding of your kingdom. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Aren't you glad that we don't have to wait to hear Heaven's Choir? <laughs> Thank you very much. What a beautiful piece. Chuck Swindle tells about reading a newspaper article several, several years ago about a guy who earned his living by being shot out of a cannon in a circus. The man's nickname was quite naturally Cannonball. In his younger days, Cannonball was blasted out of a cannon more than 1,200 times. He said he did it for the thrill of the crowd's applause. Do you know what it feels like to receive the applause of 60,000 people, he asked? 1,200 times shot out of a cannon. Well, we all like to be applauded, don't we? We all like to hear others say, what a great job we've done. And there's nothing wrong with that. But how about if you had done your very best that you could do, and, and instead of being applauded, you were persecuted? That would be a real bummer, wouldn't it? And yet Jesus tells us that that happens to us, and that when that happens to us, we ought to rejoice. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, he says, and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. We touched on that passage of Scripture a little bit last week. And this week's passage in 2 Timothy, this week's passage tells us that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what it says. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. This is not exactly shaping up to be one of those fluffy feel-good sermons, is it? And I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I can't get all that excited about having people hate me and exclude me and insult me and reject me. I can't really see that as an occasion for rejoicing. And yet Jesus says that that could happen to us simply because we are following in the ways of Christ. And so the question for today is, can you be popular and serve Jesus at the same time. A few years ago, psychologist Ruth Berenda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with a group of teenagers. The experiment was um, designed to show how people handled group pressure. And the plan was simple. They brought groups of 10 teenagers into a room for a test. And each group was instructed <coughs> to raise their hand when the teacher pointed to the, the longest line on three separate charts. However, what one person in the group did not know was that the other nine teenagers had been instructed ahead of time to vote not for the longest line, but for the second longest line. And they were to do this regardless of the instructions that they heard once they were all together in the, in the room. 
And so one teenager thought that they were voting for the longest line while all the rest secretly were voting for the second longest line. And so nine teenagers were voting for the wrong line. Well, you can imagine what happened. The lone teenager who was out of step with his peers, the one who was known quite appropriately as the stooge, would typically glance around him as the others were holding their hand up and frown in confusion and finally slip his hand up along with the others as they voted for the second longest line. Then the instructions were repeated again and the next card was shown and, 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 and time after time this self-conscious teenager would sit there saying that a short line is longer than a long line simply because he lacked the courage to challenge the group. And that remarkable conformity occurred in, in about 75% of the cases. And that was true of small children and of high school students as well. Berenda concluded that they would rather get along by going along with the group, even when the group was wrong. Now the question of peer pressure comes up generally when we talk about teenagers and talk to our teenagers and it's definitely an issue that teenagers must face however I would say it is really a universal phenomenon and we adults are not immune to it at, at, at all Robert Morgan tells about another experiment in a psychology department of a major university in which 12 people were gathered in a room and some of them were graduate students and some were members of the faculty and administration of the of the school and each person was given a set of heads uh, earphones and as they were seated in their separate places they were asked to listen to a buzzer and when it sounded they were to report orally the number of sounds that they heard well there was a faculty member from the sociology department seated in the 12th chair and being the university type that he was. He was mildly amused at the elementary nature of this experiment, just counting sounds. And so the first series of sounds was heard and he counted 18 sounds. Well, the first person was asked to report the number of sounds that she had heard and she said, 16. Well, the professor smiled at the thought of this woman not being able to count to 18 correctly. But the next person in line also said that he had heard 16 sounds. Person number three said the same, and so it went through the first 11 persons, each person saying that they had heard 16 sounds. And so the professor, thinking that perhaps he had erred in his counting, finished up the tally by reporting that he also had heard 16 sounds. <laughs> and then the process was repeated. This time the professor counted nine, and, and during the second round everyone else claimed that they had heard eleven. And when it came time for the professor to report, he sighed with resignation and said, eleven. In succeeding rounds, the numbers became further and further off the mark, and sometimes they were off by as much as, as half the number. But each time the sociology professor reported hearing whatever the first eleven people had heard. And before the experiment was over, he, he simply stopped counting. He figured that since he was last in line, that he didn't have to count. They all report what they heard before they got to me. And, 
and, and by being last, I can just let them figure it out and report whatever they say. Well, you probably already know what he should have known. And that is that there were not 12 subjects in this experiment. There was only one. And he was it. The others involved in the experiment were told to invent numbers that were progressive, progressively off the mark. And they were waiting to see just how ridiculous the answers would have to be in order to goad the professor into challenging their results. Well, folks, here's the story. Here's the moral. All of us are susceptible to peer pressure. All of us. My friends, peer pressure is not just for teenagers. Even college professors who ought to know better are susceptible. And so are we. I mean, let's face it. The opinions of, of others, to a certain extent, determine the, the kinds of house that we live in or the kind of car that we like to drive and the, the clothes that we wear or even our political opinions. Studies show that on average people who move to the, the southern part of the United States suddenly get, get more religious and more conservative politically. And why is that? It's simply a part of the cultural environment. And we're all susceptible to the influence of others. And of course, some of us are more susceptible than others. Talk show host Larry King tells about a man who gambled on horses, and he said that, that he was with a friend at the track, and he went up to the window to place a bet, and he was convinced that, that horse number three would win the first race. However, while he was standing in line, he overheard the man directly in front of him place a bet on horse number four. So he bets on horse number four. Well, sure enough, horse number three won the race. Well, what happened, his friend asked. I thought you liked horse number three. And the first guy said, well, I met this fellow. Well, in the next race, he likes horse number five, but he meets another guy who likes horse number six. So he changes his mind again. And sure enough, his original horse, number five, wins. And after losing six races in a row, because somebody keeps changing his mind, he tells his friend, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go get a hot dog. But when he returns with a hamburger, his friend asks, well, what are you doing with a hamburger? And he says, well, I met this fellow. <laughs> I guess some of us are worse than others, but, but all of us are susceptible to the opinions of our peers. And we are all influenced by the culture in which we live. But here's the second thing that we need to see. Sometimes the ways of Christ are not in agreement with our culture. Even our culture, one which some people say is based on Christian values, is not always in agreement with the teachings of Jesus. For example, we are a terribly materialistic culture, and, and many of us are obsessed with having nice things. My friends, it, it would cause a, a radical change in our lifestyle if we were to take seriously Jesus' teachings about the place of money in our lives. And I think that the, the conflict between Christ and culture is, was most easily seen in the days of the civil rights movement when it was in full bloom. Our 
Judeo-Christian culture actually had laws relegating people of color to live in ghettos, to ride in the back of the bus, to attend grossly inferior schools. They were denied access to water fountains, restaurants, hotels, and restrooms, and they were denied the right to vote, and they were dehumanized in, in, in a hundred different ways, dehumanized in a hundred different ways. Lyndon Baines Johnson from the state of Texas was the Senate majority leader at this time in those days, and Johnson, the Johnsons had a wonderful African-American cook named Zephyr Wright. She was considered to be a part of their family. And one day, while they were in Washington, LBJ um, uh, told Zephyr that he wanted her and her husband to pack things up and to drive down to the ranch in Texas to prepare for the Johnsons to come down there for vacation. But Zephyr told Johnson, I'm not going to do it. And he asked why, and she explained that on the two-day trip to Texas, she would have to substitute the bushes along the road for a restroom. And she would have to brown bag it from the back door of a restaurant who would not serve blacks. Her husband would have to sleep in the back seat of the car, and she would have to sleep in the front seat beneath the steering wheel because they couldn't get a hotel room. Well, Johnson told reporters of her plight many times, and when it came to time for him to sign the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which he had proposed, he gave one of the first pins after signing it to Zephyr Wright. He, just said, he said, you deserve this more than anyone else. Now, let me ask you something. Do you think that Johnson's support of the Civil Rights Act made him popular back in Texas? No, hardly. But Texas was not alone. We had dehumanizing Jim Crow laws on the books of many of our states until finally, finally a group of Americans, both black and white, said, enough. In the name of God, enough. Some of them were persecuted for their convictions. Many pastors were removed from their pulpits. Yes, even in churches where the word of God is considered paramount, people preferred their prevailing culture to the teachings of Jesus. Teachers were removed from their classrooms. Some people who were devoted to the equal rights for, for all Americans paid with their lives. My friends, it was a dark and yet glorious period of American history. For you see, it was a time when the love of Christ was pitted against the crowd. And my friends, in any conflict between Christ and the crowd... We, as disciples of Christ, must choose Jesus. And that, of course, is the message of the day. We tell it to our young people all the time. If the crowd chooses drugs, get away from the crowd. 
If you are pressured to have sex, remember who you are and do the right thing. But you know something? Sometimes we adults need to give ourselves that same admonition. If we are in a group where people of other persuasions are being demeaned, we need to take a stand. If we are living beyond our means in order to impress our neighbors, then we need to radically reevaluate our values. My friends, in the battle between the culture and Christ, we need to choose Christ. Last week, we celebrated All Saints Sunday, and as a part of that, we defined a saint as someone who lives according to God's value and not the values of the world. It is a person who is true to his or her inner voice of right and wrong and not the outer voice of the crowd or of culture. William Willimon, in his book On a Wild, Windy Mountain, describes a woman he, whom he calls a saint. She was a lay leader in his church that he served at in uh, North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Her name was Peggy. And in many, in, in many ways, Peggy would hardly have qualified for the popular definition of a saint. Uh, for one thing, her language was often sprinkled with words that are not often heard in church. But somewhere along the way, she had gotten the idea that God expected her to be busy in the world on God's behalf. And that's the way she acted. And one day she was cruising down Ocean Boulevard in North Myrtle Beach when a local police officer stopped the car of a young person in front of her. And Peggy knew what was happening. She had seen it many times before. The city made lots of money each summer preying on youthful tourists in their town. And, and so she stopped her car behind the police car. And the police officer knew her and she said, he said, uh, can I help you, Miss Peggy? And, and she said, yes, you can. Why did you stop that young boy's car? And the police officer replied, well, I stopped him because he was speeding, but really it's none of your business. And she said, well, I'm making it my business. I'm sick and tired of you people busting these kids for minor violations. If he was speeding, I was speeding. We were going the same speed. But you stopped him because he has long hair and an out-of-state license plate. Well, by this time, the young boy was out of his car with a confused look on his face. He didn't know what was going on here. And, and, and the patrolman was shouting at Peggy, look, you stay out of this. This is none of your concern. I'm, I'm pulling this kid for a traffic violation, and this is none of your business. But Peggy, uh, Peggy was undeterred. I, I told you it is my business, she said. It's not right. And you know it. Let's just go down to the station and talk this over. The be bewildered youth asked, what's the trouble, officer? And the policeman didn't answer. He just jumped in his car, slammed the door while muttering something about a loudmouthed woman. And he squealed off in anger. Peggy said to the young boy as she started the car, Son, be careful. Slow down and be careful. This, Williman concludes, is how saints are made. They are made by listening to the call of God and saying yes.
However, saying yes to God often means saying no to the crowd and no to culture and no to your friends and your neighbors. Just because other people say that a certain line is longer than the others does not make it so. And just because the previous 12 people heard a sound 10 times, if you hear it 12 times, hold your ground. Can you be popular and still be a Christian? Well, to a point maybe. But sometimes you will face a situation in which a choice has to be made. And in such a situation, I hope and I pray that you will be strong in your convictions and that you will always, always, always choose Christ over culture. For you see, it is Christ that is the way and the truth and the, not, and the life, not the world. And we should choose to follow Jesus. Amen. Appropriately enough, our hymn of commitment today is number 305, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I hope you have. But there may be someone here who has not. And let me say this about that song and about the whole notion of following Jesus. Following Jesus is different than believing in Jesus. As a matter of fact, the book of James tells us that even the demons believe and they tremble. So believing in Jesus is one thing, but following Jesus is making those hard decisions. And sometimes that means bucking the system, going against culture, the things that others are saying that we should be doing and saying. Christ wants followers more than believers. Christ wants people who are so committed to his way of life and his teachings that we are willing to stand up and be heard even when it goes against popular thought. That's going to lose us in popularity contests. That's going to lose us some points in popularity. But you know what? Christianity is not a popularity contest. It is about being faithful to the ways of Christ. And so we're going to ask you today to make that commitment to follow Jesus. If you've never made that commitment, I hope you'll do it today. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect from here on out. None of us are, you know. Sometimes we follow Jesus and sometimes we stray from the path and he brings us back on path and forgives us and, and we just keep trying to, to go the right way. But the point is that we are committed to it and we try our best. If you've never made that commitment, I hope you'll do it today. Or maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with our church as we try to be followers of Christ. Maybe you just need a time of prayer. Would you come as we sing together, number 305, I have decided to follow Jesus.
May your blessings, O God, be upon us this day as we leave the fellowship of saints in this place. May it be upon us as it has been upon all of your people throughout the ages. Bring to all the riches of your glorious hope and power and love. May your blessings be upon all those who will yet hear the word of truth and who will yet put their hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we all come to know you more deeply, living each day ever closer to your ways in love and forgiveness and compassion and in strength to stand up and be counted among your disciples.